Heidi McDonald, New York Comic Con 2022. I'm in Artist Alley, the throbbing heart of Comic Con. Actually, this is such a popular part of Comic Con. So many great artists here. And I'm sitting here with Joelle Jones. Hi, Joelle. Hey, how's it going? Uh, how's it going? You, I, I would look, I hope I'm not telling tales out of school, but you are chugging a big old coffee. <laughs> yes. This is a grueling show. <laughs> Hands down, yeah. Uh, it's exhausting. Which, which do you think is the most exhausting Comic Con? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think San Diego, because you can't go into the city and escape it. Yeah. You're in it the whole time. Right, that's right. Yeah, I mean, New York, I do notice people tend to go off at night, like, with their friends and do cool New York things, so. Sure, yeah. Uh, I went to a comedy club last night, got to escape for a little bit. Uh, it helps. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Joelle, what, uh, you are working with Zest World. Uh, there are a lot of really great people are. Uh, they're a digital comics platform. Uh, how would you describe it? What are you What are you doing for me? Uh, you know, I'm terrible with anything digital. Uh, I can barely answer email. But uh, they approached me, kind of explained what the platform is, and I just thought it was a perfect opportunity for me to pick up a creator-owned book that I haven't worked on in a long time, and I was just waiting for the right place, the right excuse. And uh, I'm super tickled to be back in creator-owned world and having a blast. Wow. Now, what is the name of your title? Uh, it's called Lady Killer. Oh, it is Lady Killer. Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't... Okay, look, I just come here, I ask questions, <laughs> and I, you know, I find out. So, uh, now, Lady Killer started at Oni, right? Uh, that's a fun fact. I originally pitched it to Oni. Okay. Um, they weren't sure that it was a good fit for them. Uh, and so, kind of heartbroken, I pitched it to Dark Horse, and they, they jumped on it, and, and they were fully supportive, and and now it continues. Right, okay, so yeah, it, but it came out, that's right, at Dark Horse, and uh, it ran for several issues, and now there was a TV show based on it, right? Is that still in the works? Or? Uh, yeah, well, it's going to be a movie. Um, I, I just got the script, haven't read it yet, uh, but I'm super excited to see what happens. Yeah. Don't mind me. Yes. That's okay, these are live interviews, my friends. Um, so tell us, what is Lady Killer about? Uh, it's about a 1960s housewife with an assassin on the side. Uh, it's just sort of a, a dark comedy, meant to be super fun, really bloody, really gross. And she, uh, it's also, I think you are known for your uh, awesome uh, fashion details in your work, and the people wear very stylish clothes as well. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's the 60s. I, I think in, in this next series, I'm super excited, it's 1968, which, uh, you know, the fashion jumped really big right there, so it's a lot of, like, space-age, crazy bananas fashion, which I'm uh, so excited about. Well, you know, that's one thing that uh, we don't always think about with car comics artists, but I mean, I remember back when I started reading comics, like all the way back in the 80s, uh, everybody made fun of the Marvel comics because the artists drew the women wearing really generic <laughs> clothes, right? <laughs> and uh, it's true, like like actually knowing fashion and, you know, having, you know, awareness of styles. I mean, that's kind of an important part, right? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's been huge for me. I, I, you know, I've been into comics since I was like eight years old, uh, in the eighties, and uh, I missed out on that part. Like, I loved all the female characters. Um, some of them were general enough that I could imagine myself being them, <laughs> but they always missed that 
thing that I was also interested in being a girl and I love to sew I love to create uh, uh, clothes and so it's just kind of putting the two together is super fun but I remember in the 90s it started dripping in like some of the current fashions like uh, you know you'd see bootcut jeans all the time. I'm like right, what the right, hell's right. going on well when you think bootcut jeans you think Mary Jane Watson right exactly yes. <laughs> I mean that you know uh, it just goes hand in hand. Yeah, and of course, you know, fashion changes. You look back, it's a time capsule. But, I mean, it's it, yeah, I just think it's a lot of fun. So. It's super fun. It's really fun to play with. I mean, I was lucky enough uh, to design the Catwoman wedding dress. And it was mostly in response to every time a comic book character gets married, they wear that sweetheart neckline with a mermaid skirt. <laughs> and I was sick of seeing it, so I sort of elbowed my way in. <laughs> really? Oh. Uh, but, I, I mean, you have worked on... Uh, the Bat family quite a bit also, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a dream come true, actually. I mean, it's a dream and a nightmare because it's grueling work, but, you know, that little kid inside of me is right. What did you What did you do? You did the Cat, Catwoman book? I'm... I did Catwoman for a while. Um, I did uh, a run with Tom King uh, for Batman, just a little bit of it, and then I jumped over to Wonder Woman world right. after that. Right, okay. All icons... Uh... <laughs> and all fun to draw, which is, I mean, uh, you just alluded to this, but is it, I mean, it's, it is a dream come true, but uh, it, what's the most daunting thing about drawing these iconic, <laughs> iconic characters? The fans. <laughs> oh, yeah. Twitter. Twitter is the most daunting, scary place in the world uh, when you work in comics, I think. Yeah, well, the, the, the you know, Batman-Catwoman uh, team-up, or hook-up uh, relationship has been controversial. Yeah, uh, they were very mad. Catwoman left Batman at the altar. They were meant to get married, and um, people were pretty upset. <laughs> Although it was kind of in character. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't see Batman or Catwoman, for the most part, uh, being down with traditional monogamy, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, well, but I mean, also... I mean, this is a couple that has such an incredible history and chemistry. I mean, come on, yeah. you know, always the strange stirring of the utility belt. But uh, I mean, that had to have been a blast to draw. Oh yeah, hands down, <laughs> so much fun. And I got to design crazy costumes for it, which you know, it was great. It was yeah. just playing. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, what? Coming back to Lady Killer, uh, you know what? What did you want to accomplish with, with reviving it? You know, what was your goal and like bringing it back? Was to... Yeah, I left the second series on a cliffhanger. Uh, always wanted to get back to it. And uh, the cool thing about the Zest World is, is the format sort of inspired me to do something kind of different with it. So it'll be like a hundred page kind of a one and done story, more like an origin story about where she came from. So I get to go all the way back to the early 1900s, the Depression. You know, I'm a huge history buff, so it's it's so fun for me. But, you know, I think because it doesn't feel like a traditional situation, it feels more like I'm just doing a playing, like I'm just daydreaming and it's all for me. <laughs> well, that's great. And, you know, you bring us along. Now, uh, I understand, though, that just this world is delivered digitally via subscription. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the newsletter. I mean, you know, I, look, let's be honest. It's sort of like what Substack started. And now Zestworld's picking up, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Uh, I am way out of my depth with uh, <laughs> newsletters and tears and any of that. Um, 
but it gives me an opportunity. Like, I'm really bad at interacting with people. I'm really shy. So I've never liked social media. This gives me an excuse to try it out in a safe environment. But it sounds like they're giving you a lot of support. It's not like you have to just reinvent the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, they know what they're doing, and it's been incredibly uh, easy to just reach out and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is scary as hell. Uh, they're very reassuring. Right, right, right. Has it, has it started? Is it coming out now? No, not yet. Uh, I'm, I taught myself how to digitally paint. Uh, so. Wow. I didn't, uh, plan for the learning curve. So oh. It's a little bit slower coming out, but I'm hoping the next month or so. So, Joelle, I'm, I'm stunned to know that you just started doing digital. Yeah, it's a mess. But <laughs> what is your what is your medium of your previous medium of choice? Uh, I used to call it traditional. It's mm-hmm. like it's I, I pencil digitally, mm-hmm. print it out, and then I'll ink it with a brush. Okay, so you do have a digital step in the process. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it saves on paper, it's good for the yeah. environment, yeah. and yeah. But uh, but then but painting obviously in, in Photoshop or any program is quite different. Yeah, I I, uh, I went to art school for uh, fine arts painting. And so it's, the learning curve is bizarre. It's, they're all different terms. The brushes don't work like the brushes in real life. Yeah. So you just feel like a dummy for a couple months and you well, figure it out. if it helps you any, uh, you know, uh, when I have to do a duffer's design, I use Canva, which is made for duffers. And then a friend of mine who probably wouldn't listen to this was like, oh, uh, uh, let me get you Adobe. And gave, you know, got, got <laughs> me like the whole suite of programs and, uh, you know, I was like, oh, let me import this photo. And I was like, oh, how do you, okay. Uh, hello, Canva.com. So, right. <laughs> like just for a stupid thing like putting a, uh, you know, type on a photo is, oh God, you know. It's humbling. It's so humbling. <laughs> it is humbling, Joel. It is humbling. And, uh, cause I know lots of computer programs, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so what, is this your first New York con since the pandemic or were you here? Yeah, since the pandemic. Yeah. What's it, the best part about being back? Do you know, I, I missed, my peers like I miss being around people that I can talk shop with uh, during the pandemic I'm surrounded by people that have normal jobs so you know you feel like a weirdo until you get to talk with people that do the same thing that you do for a living right right and it just feels good to just kind of like pressure release valve it is really the sense of community in comics uh, we talk about that on the podcast all the time uh, but you know coming to an event like this it, it really is true yeah, it really is. It, 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 it's also inspiring of like, you know, to still see people, you know, top of their game. They've been doing it for decades and they're still excited about comic books. They're excited about the next project. It, you know, it gives me hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you should have a lot of hope because your work is amazing. Uh, you know, Lady Killer is beautiful. You have a beautiful uh, oversized collection. I think they call that... Uh, I don't know what the name of that. Anyway, it's big, it's beautiful, it's on our table. Uh, come buy it and uh, soon to be from Zest World and hopefully soon a motion picture. Joelle, thank you so much. Thank you so much. There will be more to come. <laughs> Heidi McDonald, New York Comic Con 22. We continue. We are here in uh, what's on Saturday of Comic Con. It's kind of a quiet day, but not really. As you can hear, it's, we're surrounded, but hopefully you can you know this. And I am here with Gabby Lou, 
the brand new, for fairly new, editor-in-chief at Tapas, is that right? Yes, that's right. Thank <laughs> you, Heidi. Uh, well, well, welcome, welcome. Um, you're the second editor-in-chief at Tapas Media that we've had on the podcast. Because uh, I think the last time we talked was um, uh, Jamie Rich, who's departed. So so tell us what you just joined. You, you're a veteran at Tapas. Tell us about your career trajectory. Give us your LinkedIn real fast. <laughs> okay, so uh, I originally started at Tapas around 2015 as an intern. Um, I was a novels intern, actually. I had nothing to do with comics. Um, but I kind of worked my way up. Um posing projects and you know at the time there were only four people on the content team so really like it didn't really matter like who you were but if you had a good idea then you would try it out right so um, luckily I was able to make my way up to editor and now editor-in-chief after all these years <laughs> right well congratulations um, so you have for the you do select original comics for Tapas, correct? But you say it's it's uh, you have a group that does it, or how does the selection process work? Yeah, so it's it's a bit democratic, I would say. Um, all the editors are able to submit pitches that they are passionate about, creators they want to work with, and uh, we decide together whether or not it fits our slate at the time. Um, and uh, I, I help them with the selection process, kind of understand what a project needs to be to reach our audience. No, and once it's selected as an original, what does that mean? <laughs> once it is selected as an original, what does that mean? Oh, it means that we will fully support the creator monetarily with assistance. It's very important uh, to support creators with a team so that they know that they don't have to do it alone. Um, and just prepare it for publication. That might mean like anywhere between like one and a half to two years of committed like work. Oh, so you make a, a that long a commitment? Yeah. Do, does it does that mean that during that time does a creator have a set schedule that they need to meet? Do they have to have a set number of episodes? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so it's part of the um, development process to kind of decide what that schedule is. Uh, no, no two creators are the same, right? So we try to uh, cater to their personal schedules as well. So that would uh, that would affect how many episodes they need as a buffer before we publish, and that will determine the publication date. Right, right. Well, I've always said as an editor. It's probably 20% story editor, 30% project manager, maybe 50% psychologist, because you do. You have to support, you know, you <laughs> write, she's laughing, she's, she's, yeah, you really do have to support creators. And, it's, and especially these days with things, you know, the world is a very uncertain place. Yeah, I mean, a lot of creators are young as well. Sometimes this is their first professional gig, and uh, we need to support them in that, I guess, journey. Yeah, but I mean, do you find that, like, I mean, it is aspirational now. Like, I've talked at a lot of comic schools over the years, and of course, when I first started, the dream was to be in Marvel or DC. But now, a lot of times, their dream is to have a comic on, on, you know, a, a mobile comics platform. So, do you find? And actually, before we got here, uh, or before we started the interview, you mentioned that some of the topics were coming outside of traditional publishing, but 
Uh, and then I, I, I actually think now that Webtoon and, and Tapas and, you know, go, scrolling comics are traditional. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would like to think that too. It would become, becoming more mainstream. People don't ask, like, what's a Webtoon anymore? They kind of understand. And so it, it's really amazing to see. But, but I mean, certainly among younger creators, it is, I mean, you know, they want to do they want to do a tapas comic. They don't want to draw Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think they do want to do tapas comics because uh, they don't really have to fit into a box, right? They can they can do whatever feels relatable to them or special to them, and they will find an audience right. for that, right? Right. So, do you have any? Any like demographics on the audience? I mean, is it mostly female? But you know, by what percentage do you have any of that? I would say our platform is about sixty percent female. Sixty, six yeah, zero. 60%, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And what about the creators? Do you have any breakdown of that? I would also say majority female. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and are you seeing any new trends in content or in the submissions that you get? Um, you know, are there any new genres that you think people are jumping into? Uh, we get a lot of fantasy submissions. Of what? Uh, fantasy. Okay, right. Uh, big adventure fantasy. Yeah. It's always very fun to see because kind of do twists on the genre, right? So that's kind of what we're looking for is like kind of a familiar feeling, um, but a world that you can escape through and uh, generally fits into the fantasy genre. Right, right. Now, I know there was talk about, you know, print editions of tapas and i that that seems to have been an initiative that we were talking about a couple years ago when we talked to jamie um so so what's up with that are you still looking at going into print oh absolutely we have uh several print books uh either they're out or they're coming out uh, through multiple different publishers um what's interesting is that um because our content is so like diverse we can't just go to one single publisher and give them all our content, right? We're working with Yen Press, Andrew Smith Meals, and um, Scholastic, um, and just trying to find uh, the right home for each of our originals. And, and how much is the creator involved in this process? I mean, can they make their own deals, or do they broker it through you? I mean, how does that work? Uh, they usually broker it through us. We bring them, or we pitch out their content to our publishers, um, Alex Carr, is in charge of that. He's amazing. Oh, um, yes. We love Alex. <laughs> we love Alex Carr. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's made so much happen for us in the past year uh, that we wouldn't even like dream of <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, we take care of all that for the, the uh, creator, but they're quite involved in things like uh, the layouts, right? They look at the layouts, make sure they look okay. And uh, the marketing, of course, uh, we like to showcase them at events things like that. You know, let, let me ask you about the formatting for a moment, because that does, uh, you know, translating the vertical scroll to a print edition is, uh, it's 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 not like falling off a log, right? Yeah. Am I correct? It, it's so tough. It, it's very tough. <laughs> yeah. is, is there, what makes it tough? Uh, so with the vertical scroll, you don't really have limits, right? Like, you can spend extra time on the character's like very subtle movements and expressions and things like that. Whereas on the page, you're limited to the page to kind of um, like display the scene, right? 
Um, and with every page turn, you need to have that mini cliffhanger, right? Right, right. Whereas wow. it's just like... Do you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you ever have to do redrawings or, you know, actual new content oh, to bridge yeah. a gap? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are times where, you know, because of the deadlines, we will cut corners a little bit. But um, when it comes to print, uh, it looks awkward, right? To, to have, like, an entire limb cut off or something. Right, right. So, so right. go back in. Yeah. So yeah, it is a lot, a lot of work. But you say the creators often have a lot of input on it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Gabby. So have you been to New York Comic Con before? No, this is my first time. Oh wow! What do you think? It's it's amazing. It's a lot bigger than I expected. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you seen like the giant Luffy and the the One Piece? I mean, oh, this yeah. is like One Piece Con. It's hard to miss. Yeah. I love it though. Yeah, the displays are amazing. I hope that Topless can get. <laughs> get a showcase like this. Well, I mean, yeah. What else have you seen that really impressed you? Uh, honestly, I think after a pandemic, just like the amount of people uh, coming out and um, well, the amount of energy people have is just really amazing. Yeah, there is a real feeling of celebration. And just, I mean, people, I'll tell you, yeah, you can look at, I'm sure we'll, Publishers Weekly will have a photo gallery, but people are going all out. We are sitting here at the end and some cosplayers are walking by. There is a incredible Homelander standing right nearby. Uh, there's some, I don't even know. These are like anime characters or the video game that I don't know. But they're spectacular. And people, are, you're Raven, right? Yes, we have a beautiful Raven standing right by us. So uh, we're doing a podcast. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, fantastic. How long did you work on your costume? For earlier purchases, I actually lost a lot of weight, and, and I used to have to make my own costume. So this is one of the first copies I bought after I went. Oh wow! I didn't have to make it. I was able to fit the actual size. <laughs> well, congratulations! Um, it made things a lot easier just to be able to make a purchase. Right. Because you know you always have to tell them to sit and sew or use a machine. That's what I'm used to. But once in a while, it's it's still it's still makes fun too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, Absolutely. Well, there you go. You heard it right. Right. I'm sorry to to jump in on Gabby's interview, but I know, uh, but it, but it kind of fits the spirit of what we were just saying. People are just here really to to just enjoy expressing their love of of this world. Um, well, Gabby, you're a big part of this world now. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's it's hard to believe because you know, as an editor, you are usually in the background, right? You're showcasing your your creator and lifting them up and promoting them and not really yourself so um doing this interview with you and having the title editor-in-chief it's all very new to me yeah well i think you're gonna do just fine um and as we love to say here there will be more to come so thank you so much Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor, Publishers Weekly, Editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter, and co-host of the, uh, of the of More to Come. <laughs> they're, they're all of these things are mangled together in my mind. 
of more to come pw's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing but right now once again i'm at the javits center uh it's quiet and calm here that's because i'm not on the exhibition floor which is a madhouse uh it's saturday um uh but we're not on the exhibition floor but i am here <laughs> with tim fielder excuse me tim fielder he the author of infinitum the author of Maddie's Rocket, uh, an Afrofuturist storyteller, um, multimedia artist, animator. I could go on and on, but I'm, you know, but I'm going to do it in another way. Tim, thank you so much for being on once again. Uh, excuse me, being on More to Come once again. I can't talk. Yeah, Calvin Reed, you are the hype master. Uh, <laughs> when you when you give the intro, a person that you know your your, your DNA starts to tingle because it makes you feel yeah. like, wow, I did all that. I'm gonna Whoa. rev them up. I gotta rev up the crowd, even oh if it's just God. you and me. You, you're like the, you're the hype master. Oh my there God. you go. Well, I'm also. Uh, Stumbling over my own tongue tonight. No, today. no but there problem, you go. No I was I, I was out late at the uh, uh, the Harvey Awards last night, ah, which yeah. were really great. Were uh, a lively crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Porn sack, and I can't say his last name, so I'm going to apologize. The, the book, The Good Asian, won ah. book of the year. Great Excellent. book. Uh, Ch- a Chinatown noir, wow. Chinese history, Excellent. yarn. Anyway, mm-hmm. but enough about that. Mm-hmm. Um, look, uh, we've talked on more to come before. Uh, we've talked about Infinitum, uh, the, that extraordinary book. We've talked about Maddie's Rocket. But what's going on with Tim Fielder now? What wow. kind of projects? I know you. I know you've got some new representation, a new yeah. agent, some other things. I, I am a fortunate. Uh, uh, you know, we'll see what happens because it's it's totally on me that I do what I'm supposed to do. But I've I'm very blessed. Thank you, thank you, to be uh, at this point at least. You know, Judy Hanson, yeah, has, has, Hanson has, Literary. Oh yes, ha- has taken it upon her her herself to be merciful, <laughs> <laughs> to be merciful and say, well, I guess I'll deal with you a little. There bit. you go. So right. you know, my job is to you know, uh, Judy is like a, 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 a Marshawn. The beast mode. Yes. <laughs> they, yes. They, you just, they, your job yes, yes, right. is to give yeah, yeah. them the ball. Let yeah, them right. run with yeah, it. Yes. Get out of the way. Give them what they need. Yeah. Don't start trying to that's, go debate. Just let them run. That's a good description so of her as an agent. That is the way yeah. she is. Beast mode. So that's what she is. She is that. And I, and I say that. I hope she's like, who's beast mode? That's like, yeah, that's uh, right. I'm just it's saying. It's a good thing. Don't worry. It's a very, very good <laughs> it's thing. It's a good you thing. Know, she is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Her clients, I mean, Scott McCloud. Scott McCloud. Raina, Raina Telgemeier, Jerry Craft, yeah, Jerry Craft, uh, indeed, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kazu Kabuichi, yes, and uh, uh, I and just, Tim Field. Yeah, I just want to <laughs> give her, give her what she needs. All right, uh, I just want to give her what she needs, yeah, and that uh, means good books. So, and you usually have them. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, right now, the projects that I'm working on, we'll see what happens with mm-hmm. them. But you know, they're my projects. I don't mind talking about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is Brother Robo. Yeah. Yeah, you tell me about this. Yeah. So tell us more. Uh, Brother Robo is my middle grade book. Because, okay. you know, I went crazy with Infinitum doing this adult graphic novel. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I said, you know what? We got to do something for for the, the uh, 13, you know, mm-hmm. 10 to, to 13 year old set, middle mm-hmm. grade. And I wanted to do something that was a homage uh, and to, to to really show my love for Johnny Quest. Cool, yeah, sure. And things like that. I love Dove Wildy's mm-hmm. work and Alex Toth, the work they did. But I wanted to do something that, you know, because I'm Mr. Fully Rendered Guy. Everything yeah, has to be painted. Yeah. Like, yo, man, you're going to kill yeah. yourself doing this. So um, 
after a few false starts, uh, well, not starts, I would say conceptual explorations. Okay. I came up with the uh, idea to um, to uh, do um, a book that was in the spirit of a kind of a Dave Pilkey, hmm. Jeff Kenny book, but mm-hmm. this very quick, very yeah. loose. More gestural style. Gestural, yeah. Yeah, there you go. You know, because when I teach my classes uh, or I do workshops or whatever, I'm always constantly telling students, well, how you draw it's not important. You can do a simple style, which is like stick figures. Mm-hmm. You can do something a little middle sure. way and do mm-hmm. something realistic. Sure. But here I was, wasn't even following my own advice. <laughs> so I decided, you know what? Let's, let's tone, let's turn the volume down on Mr. You know, French, yeah. you know, band designate. Everything <laughs> yeah. has to be, every nook and cranny has to be rendered and just do something that's loose mm-hmm. and fun. So, but you know, if I may say something about your style, mm-hmm. it is rendered, but you, I mean, that's a lot of, it's hard for a lot of guys who do a painted style to keep them very kinetic, the drawings and the images very kinetic mm-hmm. and dynamic. Mm-hmm. And you do it. You can Your drawings jump off the page. Thank you. Even when they're like very rendered and very detailed. So it's, it's, a, it's a superpower you got, man. Thank you. That's because I'm crazy. <laughs> you know. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hey, hey, we're trying to be true. Yeah. I've been therapized. Yeah. I can admit that. But that know? doesn't mean it doesn't make, uh, I'm sure it's a time-consuming style, too, I would imagine. It's, it's what it is that is meant to look Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. But there's nothing about it that's simple. Yeah. You, you have to think about what you're doing. Yeah. So Brother Robo is my ode to black girl and black boy joy. Okay. With giant robots. Okay. I love it. Just uh, the name know, Brother I'm, Robo. I'm feeling some joy just hearing you talk about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> I want to do something. I have a, a 13-year-old nephew and a 9-year-old niece. And I showed them the concept for it. And they did that, you know, that... Poles with the fist going up in the air, <laughs> and I was like, and they they were more excited about it than I was, cool. you know. And I decided, you know what, this is not for you, this is for them. All right, yeah. So we're working on that. And so I'm it's a, it's a family of robots, a uh, world of robots. All right. So can you just well, give us this a brief description? Right. You know. So the story is that they're two the, twins. The elevator pitch. Yeah. Okay. A they're twins. two twins. Uh huh. Right. They have an AI brother. Oh, okay. Who transforms into a giant robot? Okay, I love it. And they have adventures, <laughs> and they are part of a family that's both their their main, you know, their main family, then it's extended family, mm-hmm. and they have adventures. All right, all right. Uh, Black adventures. Uh, well, it's not even <laughs> just that. I wanted to do something that was more multicultural. Yeah, because you know, hey, I'm all right. I'm the quote unquote OG Afrofuturist. That's I don't right. Have to prove that anymore. That's right. Now that's I want something that spreads out. <laughs> but we still had to put a little brother in the title. I am so there. The brother wrote that. That's all I'm asking. So, they, <laughs> so that's the first thing. The other project I'm working on is called They Call Him Honka. Yes. Now, go go on. I, let me just shut up because no, <laughs> this is no, exciting you, you to me. I'm a sports fan, no. and I'm also of the age when the person you're talking about. Became a huge international, amazing athletic star. Yes, in a sport that doesn't get much play anymore these days. Not quite the same. Uh, I don't I'm, know. I think it was. What's the I'm sister? talking about track and field. I'm talking about this. You know the sister who earlier this year with the hair. Well, that's the different. Definitely, that's different because that's the sprints. So everybody still cares. What is yeah, the track and field? Come Absolutely. On. Okay. All right. All right. I'm just running my mouth. I'm useless, and I'm supposed to letting you talk. No, 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 no. No. This, this is a free form <laughs> okay. conversation. We good. We good. Right, so go just so for the ignore me. We are talking about Ralph Boston, a great star, a great of my star, youth. Uh, a person who was not only able to navigate. Uh, the 
the pressure and the tension that came during the civil rights movement, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But he was able to survive and be prosperous afterwards. Mm-hmm. He became a figure in the newscasting mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, I don't know much about his life after oh, athletics. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did that. He yeah. worked with ESPN for a bit. He, uh, and he's uh, your cousin. He is my second cousin. He is yeah. my father's uh, Arthur Fielder, uh, uh, first cousin, meaning they grew up getting on each other's nerves. Okay. You know, uh, 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 and they called him Hawkeye oh, yeah. because apparently, I could be wrong, I'm sure they'll correct, the entire family will correct me, yeah. is that he could sleep with his eyes open. Uh, and, and this is some like yeah. uh, uh, John Henry Jones type stuff. Here, well, what, what, I, what I wanted to do was to do, uh, uh, Ralph is now uh, 83. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I was talking with my twin brother. You know, I have mm-hmm. an identical twin brother. And, yes. and I was like, man, I need to, you know, because I wanted to work on March. Mm-hmm. I wanted to work on Run. You're right. Okay. And there were a number of artists who were yeah. in contention for that. And that mm-hmm. was under consideration, but of course didn't make the cut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love okay. Andrew I. and Nate Powell. Yes. Love okay. the work they did. Yeah. But I, I never got a chance yeah. to do it. So here, I'm sitting up to say, I would love to have worked on something like March. And Jim says, oh, I know what you're going to do. And I was like, you do? <laughs> he says, you're going to go interview Ralph. Boom. And I went, uh. Makes sense I, to I me. I gave him a call. I said, Ralph, um, you know, I do graphic novels for a living. Yeah. Uh, would you mind if I did your, your story as a graphic novel? Yeah, yeah. I saw you sure, man. I'm 83 years old. I don't know how many more of these I got. Absolutely. So I've been working on that. That's awesome. Yes. Just just remind people who may not know. Yes. What he did. It was in the Olympics. Wasn't Ralph it? Boston won three medals, yes. Olympic medals. The first one he broke Jesse Owens' record, which mm-hmm. stood for like almost yeah. 30 years. He broke the long jump record, yeah. which was major. And Ralph. Uh, one, he is from Mississippi, like my father. They both grew mm-hmm. up in Laurel, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all the children of the, mm-hmm. the of the lots, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Uh, and uh, they grew up. You heard of the Free State of Jones County? There was a movie with Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey that yeah. came out. Mm-hmm. It was a free state uh-huh. within the state of Mississippi. Interesting. So the brothers and sisters down there are a little bit different. Yeah, it sounds that way. And yeah. so there was a school uh-huh. called Oak Park Elementary. Uh-huh. Leontine Price uh-huh. went there. Uh-huh. And all these kids were raised in an environment where they were encouraged to be as be- the best mm-hmm. that they could be. And Ralph was a product of that. Uh-huh. So Alcorn State University, Meg Evers went there, Merle yeah. Evers mm-hmm. went all there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. HBCU. The kids yes. seemed to get away from it. <laughs> They're everywhere. And uh, <laughs> Ralph... Uh, in 1960, broke the record of Jesse Owens. He would then win the silver and the bronze over the years mm-hmm. throughout the 60s. Mm-hmm. And was a contemporary of the Bill Russells and the yep. Jim Browns and the Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali's. And the long jump record, didn't he break it by some spectacular amount? It was it a was fair amount. dropping almost a foot It longer. was a fair amount. In fact, we're going to get, because I am scheduled to go to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He lives in Peachtree City, Atlanta. Uh, Peachtree City, mm-hmm. Georgia, and I'm going to begin the process of doing the massive recording of that, and we will be filming that as well. So hopefully, love it will it. also be a documentary. Love it, love it, love it. This is great. Yeah. Um. Uh, anything else? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't say a lot about it. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 all I can say, I am hopeful that the adaptation of Nova. 
Oh yeah, yeah. The adaptation uh, of Nova uh, that I've Samuel been Samuel R. Delaney. Samuel R. Delaney. Uh, classic no- science fiction novel. It is the first mm-hmm. pure uh, Afrofuturist mm-hmm. novel. Yeah. Uh, and people will say, "Well, what do you mean? You know, you have like the comment from W. E. B. Du Bois, uh, but yeah, but it was like the, the the idea, the genre of science fiction mm-hmm. wasn't formed. Uh-huh. But Dune is a classic science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. classic. Nova is part of that. It sure. came out mm-hmm. in 1968. And I always tell folks, uh, Nova was started in 1966." Which featured three important events. One, <laughs> Black Panther was created. Uh-huh. Two uh-huh. months after he started on Interesting. 1966. Two. Mm-hmm. September, Star Trek premiered. Okay. And yeah. then the most important date, September 2nd, I was born. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't tell you that our emperor futurism, nothing does. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. it came out in 1968. All right. And the cool thing about Nova, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm being, mm-hmm. you know, funny here, but uh, that book, without that book, you would not have black science fiction. Interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, it featured a black male character mm-hmm. uh, that has this really amazing space operatic type adventure. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I won't What's go... the character's name again? Lord Van Ray. Yes, yes, Wes. And uh, the... Well, he's this dominating figure, but who's the, the, the musician story? That is Mouse. Mouse, yes, of course. Yes, Mouse. Yes. And uh, uh, I've gone through that. I've been working on it now for about a year and a half. There's still some things that have to be worked out. I don't want to speak okay. too deeply about it, but I... Well, for this those is a major people, event. Who, yes. For those folks who are listening, who are even involved in it, I have my, I'm not very religious, but I'm putting my yeah, hands together. <laughs> please, he literally, let me do people, this book. He's literally, I'll, I'll, yeah, he's going to get on his knees in a minute. But he's, please, he's, let me do this book. He has raised yeah. his hands in prayer. You know, so I am prepared to sacrifice the body for that one right. because there are certain projects that you get a chance to do in life. Yeah. And Nova's one of them. It's yes. like I did. I did Infinite. Yeah, I'm working on Maddie's Rocket too, which I yes, we're going to talk about that right now. Yes, because we, we're running out of time. Okay. So we're going we're to jump to the because I'm excited about this sure. for sure. Sure, because um, I started, you know, because I actually had never really read the novel, and so I have started reading it again. So this is. Uh, this is part of my Afrofuturist yes. education, yes. remedial yes. education. Nothing remedial about you, but I hear you. I understand you. There you go. So, um, Maddie's Rocket, Maddie's book two. Rocket. Yes, uh, uh, Stephen Curry's uh, most recent favorite graphic novel. Steph, Steph Curry gave me book of the month in February yeah. through his literati book club. Uh, uh, underrated. Mm. I'm so blessed to have gotten that. It premiered during the Carnegie Hall Afrofuturism Festival. It's been a featured book of Sister Sci-Fi. And, of course, you know me. I'm always hustling. Uh, yeah. We've been at the Mississippi Book Festival. Excellent. We've been on book tour. And now we're here at New York Comic Con where I'm just doing a little media stuff. And um, working hard on book two and three. I love it. So yeah. uh, it's interesting uh, because uh, the part of, you know, I use a kind of a flashback style. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things yeah. I'm working mm-hmm. on with this book. But could, I could you tell uh, listeners just a quick, a, just what's the story of Maddie's Rocket? Maddie's Rocket. Uh, that's you know I know I get a little schizophrenic there. So Maddie's Rocket is an alternative past history uh, that is takes place merging the styles of Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Bessie Coleman, who was one of the yeah. first black pilots, she was an acrobatic pilot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, prominent during the Harlem Renaissance, mm-hmm. put in a little Harriet Tubman and mm-hmm. said it within an alternative 1930s, 40s, and 50s Jim Crow environment. Yes. Yeah. And that is what it is. And now we've gotten to the first story where I go into the primary origins of Maddie's Rocket. I love it. And now yeah. we're moving to book two where we go into what happens afterwards with the uh-huh. invasion of Earth. And Maddie fighting and, in, against and, the aliens. I and, mean, you got best, you got all of this, war of the worlds, you got it all. That's I, I, <laughs> right, I do. I sit up here thinking, there's no, oh yeah, there is a sequence in there. And I have to finish painting the background. So what are the backgrounds for that? Are, are yes. done. So yeah. my objective is to finish God willing by the end of the year, January, and then we'll begin the process of beginning to move it out. I love it. I love it. Yep. Um, uh, I got a copy of Manage Rocket right in front of me, Volume 1. Which I have to sign for you. Which he's definitely going to sign for me. Um, out from Diesel Funk, which would be you. Yes. Uh, but we're going to, you know, I, I know you're looking for a home for this book, and I think you're going to find it, too. You know. I, I believe. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. You have been a champion. Sometimes I tell you, excuse me, he's not being paid, ladies and gentlemen. Believe me or not, I love this book. He is a champion of my book. I was just talking to uh, Rob Sokowitz today. Mm -hmm. He was there. Calvin loves your book, and I'm like, and Rob likes it too. He says, This is great. I just need more of it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, That's my feeling. I would love for Maddie's Rocket to be at a publisher. I'm just saying that for the public. Yeah. I would love for it to be there. It uh, deserves to be, uh, have a, and we'll a see. good publisher. And you're going to find one. It's going to happen. I hope so. I hope These so. These fools are going to wake up here and run after you with a contract. You you watch. It's going to happen. Uh, it uh, may not be not exactly that way, but it's going to happen. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Uh, in the past, you know, because... Steph Curry called my bluff. I was like, "Gonna stop." Yes, I mean, let's. I mean, how's about how about that? Steve Curry reached out to you. Well, they, they, you know, I was trying to, you know, the the mm-hmm. uh, Erica Hardison, uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, writer and journalist, was. We were trying for months to give him infinitum. Yeah, we didn't want it. Yeah, and she said, "Well, Tim, you know, if he had man, it's Rocky Pickett." And I finally said, "Okay," but I didn't expect him to pick it. Yeah, and he said, "Yeah." And I was like, well, this book is self-published. Uh, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, what are you going to do when the, the biggest three-point shooter on the planet Earth says, hey, I'm going to take your book? You say, okay. You get the work. Yeah. So that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, if if a publisher, I'm saying this for all publishers out there, <laughs> if you are interested in treating Maddie's right, Maddie's Rocket right, and letting me tell this story, I am open. All right. I'm telling you, y'all, y'all need to get get on the phone, get on the internet, whatever, and get in touch with Tim Fielder. Look, hey, Tim, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for spending time. Uh, you've got, yeah, you are, you're an Afrofuturist OG. Wow. You know, uh, <laughs> that tells us something about the, the, the storytelling and uh, the way it connects. Uh, so we can't wait to see more stuff come out of you. Thank you I so know, much. I know you're working on it. I am working very, very hard, yeah. and I'll keep you up to date, as, All right. of course. All right, Tim Villa, thank you so much. Thank for you, being my on More to Come. Hello, welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel publishing news. I'm Heidi McDonald. Today, I am live at the Diamond Retailer Summit in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, we're talking about business, uh, hearing some upcoming plans, hearing what Diamond is doing, and meeting publishers. So I'm here with Frederick Jones... Uh, of my footprint entertainment 
and Mel Shewitt of the Quarto Group. And they are going to tell me about this manga publishing company that they have, or this manga publishing imprint. Well, I don't, you know what? Tell me. Why don't you tell me what it is? Yeah. Well, so first of all, thank you so much for having us. Um, been a fan of yours. I've read your articles for years, so thank you for this. Um, so um, Saturday AM, which is our brand, is basically the answer for a lot of young people who want to create manga. They have grown up in the past 20 years having seen manga and anime readily available, unlike my generation. And as a result of that, they become not only just really adroit with you know the content, what it feels like, what it looks like, they're actually creating their own. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to be in a position to give them a home, to give them something that they could actually recognize. Uh, as, as most of these young people are possibly not Asian or not obviously Japanese, and there was always this sort of weird stigma about like, well, well, you can't create manga if you're not this. And of course, being a person of color like I am, as a person as African American, I remember that stigma around hip hop and how mm-hmm. a lot of black people felt you couldn't do hip hop if you weren't from the hood, or you couldn't do hip hop if you weren't, you know, uh, black. So, uh, so we just really worked to try to change the idea of what manga is by staying true to the identity of it, certainly stylistically, artistically, but. The content was developed to be inside of an anthology so that all the, the stories have a rhythm. You go from one mm-hmm. story to the next. And you have to wait for the next issue for the next chapter. It's not like your traditional comic book experience. And, uh, and it's worked out. We've had a lot of young people now uh, proudly say they make manga, want to work for Saturday AM, want to be published by Saturday AM, and uh, really embrace the fact that by seeing some of our creators who are black and who are, who are from other countries, from Africa, from Latin America, different parts of uh, Asia, they're now saying, you know what, I thought I couldn't do this, but I'm seeing Saturday AM people do it, and they look like me, or they're, or they're from the same type of country I am from, or, or they're not, you know, you know, classically trained. So manga is comics, and we're just trying to evolve the notion that com- that manga and comics can be the same thing for people all around the world. Right, which isn't, um, I mean, obviously we're seeing an explosion of manga Thai style content online with, um, you know, we talk about the podcast all the time, Webtoon Tapas and so on. Yeah. Um, but you, you do it in print, just to be clear. So it's kind of like a little bit of the same concept, but in the print. Um, and so Mel, where does Quarto come in? So it's actually an interesting point because Saturday AM is started as a digital publisher of web comics, Mm -hmm. and so Quarto had the absolute pleasure of getting to take on (laughs) um, a bunch of those stories and publish them in print for the first time, which is very exciting. We got a chance to publish seven new series Mm -hmm. this year, eleven books total, because we have a How to Draw book, we have our Saturday AM Annual, which collects stories um, from different creators all over the world. Um, and so we are just, we're excited to be moving forward. Uh, like I said, we started publishing them this year. We're going to move, we're moving forward into 2023 with a big one called Clock Striker, yep. written by this guy here, Frederick Jones. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, so we get, we get to just work with Saturday AM all the time. We get to attend shows, marketing, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but Cordo is, I mean, they've been around a while. Yeah. They Cordo's are long, been around yeah, a while. Yeah. yeah, we are, a, our bread and butter is nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we publish into a wealth of categories, but this is our real first foray into graphic novels and manga style graphic novels. So, and has it been a success? I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> I think so so far. We're here, like. <laughs> right? Right? Well, I mean, obviously, there's huge, huge boom in manga material. And and I guess manga style material as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, well first of all, I mean, you, you obviously you've been around a long time. You know how, you know how this uh, scene has played out. Um, first of all, we chose Corto just to 
put one extra piece of Quarto. I mean, this is kind of been around for like just some time. Uh, we were approached by a number of publishers, so you know, Quarto was not obviously our first choice. Uh, we didn't know who Quarto was, like probably quite a few of the people here. But when we talked to them, they reached out to us about the how to draw book first, and we, when we talked to them. As someone who cares about diversity and both want to make sure that our young people are not just being captured in stories that look like them, but they also are giving agency and they're giving chances to improve. They're giving like real ladders into opportunity. That means that I don't want them feeling pressure. And some of the publishers, which you would know many of these publishers, um, I just felt like we would get that. Mm -hmm. And our guys are all new, and I want them to I wanted them to feel safe. Corto has been nothing but patient. And so it's allowed us to be in a position to really develop the brand with them. Even though we existed, uh, they've been able to help us. Because to be clear, we do everything. Like we design the books, we letter the books, we uh, design the books. So everything is ours. Quarto obviously is there to do the finished part of it, which is getting it printed and getting in the stores. But that partnership has been really successful for us. It's allowed us to have our people not feel pressure. And that's been wonderful. But to the last part about the, the notion of success, as you know, this category has been around since the 80s. You've had people like Reggie Byers, who did Shuriken at Kimiko, the comet, the Robotech stuff that Kimiko did back in the day. You've had Ben Dunn with Antarctic. Mm -hmm. So it's not, this is not new. I mean, I'm, I'm a child of that era. It's sure. not new. You've had uh, Svetlana Chemkova, which has been really successful mm -hmm. uh, in recent years. So we're just following in that pantheon. I think the, the difference with us is that we're being, frankly, more, uh, uh, more willing to claim the manga aesthetic and to claim the manga sort of style in terms of how you talk about it, how it's presented. Um, we've been more open about that and more aggressive about that. And, uh, and so to your point and, and where the success has been really noticeable is that we're not featured in the graphic novel section mm -hmm. anywhere. Mm -hmm. They're carrying our books and they're sitting right alongside of Attack on Titan, Sailor mm -hmm. Moon. They recognize, even though our books are left to right, not right to left, mm -hmm. they recognize stylistically and just the overall approach what we're doing as being manga. So we've been really proud about that. Mm -hmm. Now you're published in, you said you're in 20 countries. 20 plus, yeah. 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in in English. And um, the, and you were just saying like some of this, uh, some of the titles that are, you know, the series that you run have a huge following, like uh, yes. Apple Black. Apple Black is massive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that a little bit. So Apple Black. So, you know, one of the funny things about starting the company uh, was that, you know, again, my goal is just to try to, you know, see this wonderful explosion in manga that I was seeing from people who, who frankly didn't look, weren't Japanese, uh, weren't even American in some cases, or Asian, or Japanese, I mean, and so I wanted to figure out a way to kind of create a brand and a, and a, and a, uh, a kind of a showcase for them. What was certainly not planned was social media. And somewhere along the line, social media really started to take off for us. People really started to recognize what we were doing, and they were saying, hey, you know, I've always wanted to create manga. And these guys are actually talking about it. They're not, like, you know, like trying to be coy or slick with it. They're being very firm about their whole manga thing. This one creator we had, this kid that uh, when I discovered him, he was just starting college, very, you know, young kid, just had incredible talent. He just started doing YouTube videos occasionally, talking about our stuff, talking about his series and stuff, and now he's got over half a million followers on YouTube. Mm -hmm several hundred thousand followers across other platforms mm -hmm. and it just has allowed us as a brand to reach so many more people and to be able to to, uh, to generate interest in all sorts of things for example there are three companies in Japan who work with manga producers right Sakura who does the pens and nibs mm -hmm. Clip Studio Paint which does the, the, the uh, software and then Wacom tablets 
we work with all of them mm-hmm. because they seek out our creators like White and the Saturday and Brand because they know that we can talk about their product and people will really feel like sure. you know there's an authenticity to and, it and do it worldwide also. and do it worldwide. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So uh, Mel, do you find? I mean. I, I'm guessing that Cordo wasn't doing manga-style comics before. Were they doing comics before? Or? No, like I said, this is sort of our first real foray into right. comics and graphic novels. But it's really hard to not take on... First of all, it's hard not to take on Saturday. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because who wouldn't want to? But also, it's just... I mean, it is. we are well overdue to be in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are... Cordo, personally, I guess, is trying to expand our school and library market. And graphic novels, manga, that is just the absolute perfect fit. So we've been taking... Frederick and Saturday AM to a lot of these librarian shows and we're just the feedback has been incredible. And I think one of the actually two of the biggest parts of that are A, the content is accessible for different age ranges yeah. and it's indicated on the book what the age range is, mm-hmm. which is huge for parents, guardians, anyone who's gatekeepers. It's huge for anybody who wants to know that what they are handing to a child to read is going to be appropriate for that age range. But also Yes, our creators are global, but a lot of them live here in the States. And mm. so it's kind of incredible that we can bring our manga creators to your schools, to your libraries, to your bookstores to do these events. Because that's not something that traditional manga creators are able to offer. Well, that's a great point, actually. I mean, Japanese manga creators obviously are, uh, you know, it's difficult for them to come here. They don't have the culture there of going to shows and going to cons. Correct. I mean, they, I guess they start out maybe at going to Comic Cat and doing their doujinshi, sure. right? Yeah. But after that, it's, it's not. It's pretty insular. Yeah. Especially if they become successful. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, they do not want that low of attention that they get. We've seen this time and time again. And I certainly, I would be lying if I told you that we want to mimic everything the Japanese do. We do not. I mean, I don't want our folks, you know, not going on their honeymoons like Kishimoto did. (laughs) So, you know, so we're not dedicated to that level. I think our belief is that we want to try to find this happy medium and to something to, you know, uh, to what Mel was talking about that we really were quite quite serious about when we talked with them and when I put the whole business plan together for Saturday Evening in the beginning was that if you look at the growth trajectory for graphic novels and comics in the past 15 years names like Raina Telmega dominated mm-hmm. and so if you look at a Venn diagram you got two bubbles that are just continuing to grow manga and young adult graphic novels young adult graphic novels are really intimate stories of really diverse characters and manga is this really cool art style with a mm-hmm. lot of crazy collective things that I thought if we just occupy that Venn diagram that runs in the middle where you've got the aesthetics of manga mm-hmm. but you've got these characters and these personalities you got these right. situations that are very right. western and young adult right. maybe we've got something Interesting. and that's, that's been a really it sounds like we've been on the LA and stuff it's, it's, these librarians have been so effusive in their praise about the fact that like you know We've got these young kids, particularly of color, who love manga. We're trying to graduate them to something, and this could be it. So it's been really nice to hear All that. right. Now, I, I know you have some uh, several creators from Nigeria. Yes. And Nigeria is really in a—I don't see emerging, but I mean, it has yeah. a big, strong comics culture, and has a, and there are a lot more creators coming from from that part of the world. 100%. But yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, did you? I mean, do you, have you scouted them? I mean, how do you find? How is that? Well, you know, so so to what I said earlier, one of the crazy things that certainly was not planned. I would just be honest, it was not planned, but the social media impact that we've had mm-hmm. and is and is, it has had that has that's been had on us uh, has allowed us now to where we don't really hunt for any creators. Mm-hmm. You know, we do a couple of programs per year uh, that are that are designed to really um, 
not find creators, but to really challenge them and make them kind of understand what creating comics is like. We do an event called March Art Madness where we actually partner with companies, many of the companies I mentioned earlier. Again, we care about diversity, so like it's not they just want to get these creative guys drawing comics. You want to reward them. They can't. Some of these countries, these guys can't afford an iPad. Right. So we give away iPads. We give away five hundred dollars worth of art supplies. We give them professional art contracts, design trading cards for somebody or something like that. Um, so that's become a massive opportunity for us. And uh, yes, a lot of creators have come from Africa, partially because they see the success of white manga, Odunze Agogo, uh, but they also see the fact that we're doing these sort of outreaches that, like, if hey, if they win it. They haven't got to bump on their parents. They haven't got to figure out how to raise the money. Right. They can actually support their art, right. their right. art style with that. And then we do a thing called Summer of Manga, which now culminates with uh, – it's a, it's a pitch program where they pitch us their comic idea. We assign them editors. The fans get to vote on it and give feedback and critique. And then when it's all said and done, we take some of the strongest creators, and they get the paid assignment to create like a really big work inside of the Saturday Emanuel book, which you saw earlier. Mm-hmm. So now that's going to become an annual opportunity for these young creators to get published for the first time in a really, really tactile way. You know, I, there's no uh, shy way to ask this, but I will say, I mean, uh, you do pay creators, right? Well, so we're like Webtoon. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. Let's say it like that. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're like Webtoon. So, uh, so number one, uh, Webtoon, uh, as you know, uh, our, well, first of all, our content, our creators mm-hmm. all own their own content. Okay. So we don't own anyone's content. Content that we either, I won't say own, but content that we have an interest in, mm-hmm. yes, then we're, you know, then we're uh, advancing payment for those because obviously we have a longer term engagement with that. But as creators obviously have the ability to come and go, then we're just not quite set in that thing. Mm-hmm. We don't own any of the property, so they can post it on Webtoon, you know. Right, right. So the same way Webtoon is not paying people to post right. stuff on our platform, right. we're not doing the same right, as well. Right. But certainly uh, all the uh, projects that we're engaged in, whether through Quarto or Media Do or other companies that we're involved in, the creators are incentivized financially. Right, right, right. Okay. I'm sorry. I have to ask that. No, you know, I'm you happy to answer. Well, we always – we do. It's a very important question because, as you know, there have been quite a few yes. um, people who, you know, took advantage of young creators. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, are you, is your background in publishing or – No, so I was, That's an interesting question. Yeah, so I was in the video game industry. I um, I graduated from UC Chapel Hill, and uh, I had wanted to work in entertainment and uh, had uh, – Always loved comics. Uh, thought that's what I would end up doing, uh, but my my ex at the time uh, moved to Dallas, so I had to go to Dallas. I didn't I didn't have a choice in the matter. So went to Dallas, and it just so happened I was able to get into an ad agency and be a part of the launch of Sony PlayStation. And then my career in the video game industry took off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was part of the team that discovered Yu-Gi-Oh and made Yu-Gi-Oh big in America. Um, worked with a lot of the Japanese publishers like Capcom to bring this content to, to comics and uh, other media. So. Um, you had a lot of success in that, and I was really happy with that. And uh, but the company I was with got sold, so I kind of had to make a choice of what I wanted to do that wasn't video games for a while. And I decided to do uh, first something else, and then I did got <laughs> creating this. Um, so yeah, so uh, my background is basically what I tell people is that I've had the pleasure to see product or intellectual property development from literally all sides. I've been on the agency side, I've been on the product side. And I've been on the vendor side or the retailer side, sorry, corporate retail, where you've actually got to take the end product and put it on stores. Right. So all the things that we were, like I said, we designed all of these things ourselves. Like we, you know, if, you know, we didn't have to run it through uh, through Corto. So when you see the fact that we understand how to do trade dress, we understand how to really make sure that we maximize space and that we have quotes. You know, these are things that we were able to kind of make sure we had to be successful at retail. Right. Right. Now, speaking of retailers, you're here at the Diamond Retailer Summit. So this is. I think you said you did a little presentation this morning. 
and um, I believe you were saying that you want to get these products more into comic shops. Sure. So is that, you know, an outreach, is that a growth area for you? Or 100%, yeah, actually. Absolutely. This is our inaugural mm -hmm. time, our first time yeah. here at mm -hmm. Diamond Retailer Summit, and our That's first right. time at Baltimore Comic Con as well. Again, because we haven't really been in a position where mm -hmm. we've had those kinds of titles to to publicize. Um, but yes, we are we are here to make a lot of friends. <laughs> a lot of new friends. Um, and it's actually, it's been really great because um, we actually did a huge mailing very recently and yeah. a lot of those retailers have come up to us here and been like, we got your box mailing, mm -hmm. we love your stuff, we want more of it in our stores. So it's it's yeah. really nice. That was Mel's idea. I just want to put that on the record. That was Mel's idea. Yeah. yeah well, she did a great she, job with he, She is the, uh, she's very tired. She is the marketing manager <laughs> at right. Children's for, for Cordo. So, uh, you know, she didn't get that title by doing nothing. That's right. By not making friends. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I feel like the uh, barriers cross now for comics retailers. I mean, there have been huge, huge, huge in the past, you know, resistance to carrying manga. And I think a lot of times it was understandable because, you know, you do have to, I, I think manga you know kids get uh kids but which i mean teens get in authenticity right away oh, but they know yes. they're they know when when it's right. not authentic and you know comic shops they were just selling it because they thought they could make a quick buck right. you know it wasn't successful so right. but i think now it's become a lot more um I mean, there's a lot less resistance to it. That's right. We came across a bookseller earlier who was talking about how he wants to carve out 25% of That's his right. store right. to devote just to manga. Yeah, seeing success with it. He's seeing, yeah, he's seeing so much success with it. So, yes, things are definitely swinging yeah, well, the other way. One of the things I'll say, you know, that, that again, being a, comic, being a comic book store kid, you know, was so important to me when we, just, when we put these together is, um, so again, you know, we publish a lot of titles, but the ones that we're publishing as graphic novels with Mel, and eventually they will publish with, uh, you know, media do and so forth. I mean, look, I mean, yeah, these are our core creators. They're the creators that, you know, have uh, very, very lucrative deals with us. And I think the thing is just, just like, again, you'd have like a, uh, I feel what they call it at Webtoon, like the kind of the class of, like the Rachel Smites of the yeah. world and so forth. Um, but here's the thing. We made sure, I was very adamant about the fact that, because uh, we do work with them to develop their content. And, uh, we made very, we made sure that these books uh, would have a unique marketing piece to it. It's so one of the things that I'm really proud of is the books are connected. Mm -hmm. So we're creating a manga multiverse. Ah, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a Western Coming idea. To very Western too. idea. Very exactly. Western. Yeah. So we'll have a we'll have a giant crossover event. We're talking some manga car right now from Japan to illustrate it. There'll be a giant manga uh, crossover in 2024 called Saturday Wars, mm -hmm. and we've already began. All the books kind of have little threads that let you know, like, wait a minute, that's mm -hmm. from this book. Interesting. And because, wow. uh, because it, to your point about carrying in Western stores, right, uh, there are two challenges. One, mm -hmm. the average store owner does not have the bandwidth financially or patience-wise to keep 77 volumes of yeah. Naruto in stock right. and then still have to worry about 13 other big right. manga titles. Right. So that's a problem. And, then the, and, we're, and we're certainly not going to be producing that many pieces of, of content per book series. Uh, if we can get 10 books out, I think we'd be very proud uh, of each series. But the other part is, again, is that, you know, the, the comic stores are really, they really understand that element of the culture and the community where kids like to debate and they like to share and they like to talk about whose character is more popular than others. And in manga, it's still the weird thing because manga can be, as you know, can be toxic at times. And there's still this weird thing with manga where it's hard to, like, get into a debate with somebody about Goku versus Naruto. Because what is the, right, what's right, the comparison? But right, we actually right. are going to be addressing that. And I think the comic book stores, I 
hope we'll, we'll see that as being a real ticket for these young people to not just do what we used to do as kids in those comic book stores, but to really appreciate that they can do that mm-hmm. in the comic book stores. And they can really get to these discussions and do their favorite fan art of these characters and stuff. So we're trying to introduce that and we'll hopefully see if it works. Well, awesome. Well, uh, this is great. Uh, I mean, just getting an introduction to what's going on with Saturday AM at Quarto. Uh, so Mel and, uh, you know, that's it. I, I can look at somebody <laughs> and, like, forget their name. Anyway, Matt, Kate, if you can edit that out, but she won't do it. So anyway. You can do it, Kate. I can do it, Kate. Um, anyway, uh, we're just about out of time. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, Mel and Frederick. Thank you. Uh, it's really great to meet you. We're just love getting started on the story of uh, Saturday AM. I have a feeling we're going to be hearing more about you in the future. Awesome. And Thanks, you will I be am. here at... Baltimore yeah, Comic Con. We are here so, all weekend. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're going to Baltimore Comic Con, be sure to check it out because Booth 2008 will be there. 2008. As always, <laughs> there'll be more to come. <laughs>